Elijah passed his mantle to Elisha. Elisha was a student of Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19, so in those Bibles you held up, or electronic device with your Bible on it, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, but I want to set a little context for this message. We want to start a new series next week, uh, The Difference Maker. I want to teach you how to be a difference maker. I've got a book for you I'm going to give you, and uh, just it's a good series of lessons through August getting us ready for school and fall and uh, want to teach you how to be a difference maker. How many of you believe you are now a difference maker? Hey, I've got two, three and a half. All right. Three and a half are, are difference makers. Some are on the fence. Okay. Well, I want to teach you how to be a difference maker. So that'll, we'll start that next week. But today I just wanted to, in between our two series, I wanted to just share with you a message um, on Prophet Elijah. Um Elijah was one of the great prophets. He uh, was bold. He was daring. Uh, he he had faith that was unbelievable. Elisha wanted to be like him. He emulated him. He he, he just idolized him. And uh, he was just bold enough and just ridiculous enough to ask for. Elijah's double portion of the blessing that Elijah had. And uh, God in his um, sometimes incredible ways granted that. And so Elisha was granted a double portion of the anointing that Elijah had. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a double portion of of God's anointing that God had extended to a great prophet, then he says, okay, I'll give it to you too. Whoa. I mean, that alone scare you to death. That alone. Every year I'm in amazement uh, this time of year when football season rolls around and you begin to watch players and the new teams that they're on in the National Football League. And Adrian Peterson at one time was... I guess the best running back you could have in the NFL. Uh, a couple of knee surgeries later, well, not so much. But he has a new team. He's on the uh, New Orleans Saints team. And somebody was interviewing him, and he said, Well, you know, I'm really kind of a laid-back person. I don't like all the limelight. He said, Drew Brees is the limelight. I'm just here to play football. Isn't that great? That's the way it should be in life, isn't it? I think he's still got a few yards left in him. What do you guys think? Coaches, you think he's still got a few yards left in him? If I can draft him on my fantasy league, I'll take him. I'll take him. But Elisha got this double portion. In fact, Elisha performed more miracles than Elijah did. He performed more, it's recorded in Scripture, with except Jesus scored more, Elisha I think falls in second. But what was interesting about him is nothing. <laughs> he was ordinary. Very ordinary. He wasn't the son of a priest. He uh, wasn't like 
some spiritual giant or come from the heritage of spiritual giants. He was just an ordinary guy living at home, working the family farm, and God called him to do something incredible. He lived in the 9th century B.C., a time when Israel was divided, very divided. Great tension among the north and the south in Israel. Uh, Many people were worshiping the false god of Baal. And God was raising up this ordinary man, this ordinary person, to do something extraordinary in his life. So I want us to go to 1 Kings chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21. I'm going to read through them and then we'll kind of break them down. Let's pick it up at verse 19. So Elijah, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. I hope I'm saying that right. He was plying with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of of, of oxen, and then he slaughtered them. He burned then the plow and equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate it. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now look at verse 19 again. In the middle of the verse, where it tells us what he was doing, it says, Elisha was plying with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself driving the twelfth pair. But I want you to notice that he was doing the same job that he had been doing for a long time. Same job. Same thing. He'd been doing this. He'd been farming. That's all he did. Now, I want you to think a minute. If you are farming behind oxen. I've got a slide to show you what your view is like. Every day, for most of your life, that's the view you get. Okay? Every day, he got to go out and plow behind the oxen. I just thought we'd single one instead of putting a bunch of them up there. One would be enough, wouldn't it? Because the scenery never changes. If you're a follower, the scenery never changes. You want to be the lead dog in the pack. Because at least you can see something new. But if this is all you do, look what you have to look forward to. But Elisha wanted more. Elisha wanted more. Life can get monotonous, can it? And all you're doing is just staring at the rear end of, a, of an ox. I don't know what it is you do for a living, but it's pretty monotonous because it's the same thing you do day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. Doesn't change much. Teachers teach. They look forward to three months in the summer, 
And then they get cranked up here shortly in about two, three weeks. And there's I, I've, every teacher I've met so far this summer is so excited for August to roll around. Ah, wrong. Same thing over and over and over. I work at the same office, work at the same computer. Occasionally they give me a new one. Occasionally they give me an upgrade. I do the same stuff. I take this stamp, I stamp this, and I'm, I move it over, and I stamp this, and I move it over, and I stamp this, and I move it over, and I stamp this, and move it. Same monotonous thing. How about a checker at the store? Every day. Tink, 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 tink. Nothing different. Nothing different. How about a beer distributor? You just beer, deliver beer everywhere you go. How about if you're a drunk? It's the same old monotonous thing. Drink after drink after drink. Maybe God's calling us to do something ridiculous. Maybe He's calling us to do something ridiculous. And that's where Elisha was. But I want you to notice that he was being faithful at the task he had at hand. You see, it's one thing to be a teacher. It's another thing to be a faithful teacher, a good teacher, a teacher that's growing and learning. Coaches go to clinics. I never have understood that till I realized what it meant, till I started going to clinics as a preacher. You see, preachers learn at Bible college what it takes to build a church. So you leave Bible college, you go build a church. Wrong. All they do at Bible college is teach you how to study the Bible. That's it. That's it. All the other stuff you have to learn. Those of you that are nurses, are you, the, are you as good as you are today as you were when you started? Do you know more now than you knew then? Those that are coaches, do you know more now than you knew then when you started? Sure. Those of you that are housewives, do you know more about being a housewife now than you did when you started? Those of you that are husbands, you know more about being a husband than you did when you started? Sure, you learn to keep your mouth shut better. Amen. Yeah. Back earlier, when she said, does this really look good on me? You were smart enough to answer her. You've grown, haven't you? You got it. You got it. But see, routine can become routine if we let it become routine. Whatever we're doing, whatever God is calling us to do, whatever we're involved in, we need to do it with excellence and do it with enthusiasm and be ridiculous about it. Verse 19 again. Elisha, great man of God, looked up. It says, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So Elijah knew where he was going to be because Elisha, his life was pretty much patterned. I remember the story of an old fellow that always came to Wednesday night church. One Wednesday night, got ready to start, and he wasn't there. Time to start came, and a little bit after, 20 minutes after, he wasn't there. Some of the people got concerned. So four or five of the fellows got in their cars and trucks and drove out to his farm because they wanted to make sure he was okay. And lo and behold, a tractor had fallen over on him. And he was pinned under it. But had the men not understood his consistency, you see what I'm saying? 
He never missed Wednesday night Bible study. They went to check on him. And he's glad they did. Because they were able to get him unstuck. So Elijah goes up and throws his cloak around him. What does that mean? Well, the cloak had been kind of like a coat of animal skin or fur. It was Elijah's covering. And what Elijah did was he took his covering and he put it on Elisha. Symbolically, he was saying, that which is covering me will now cover you. What's our covering? Jesus and the Holy Spirit then becomes our covering. Remember in the beginning it says the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. You see. So the Holy Spirit becomes our covering. He's there to help us, to encourage us, to teach us. Jesus also has a covering over us. His blood. And because of that blood covering, you and I have hope, right? So Elisha became a student to Elijah. And God began to work through him and through that covering. So I want to apply two principles to ridiculous commitment and ridiculous faith that we see in the life of Elisha. In your notes, number one is, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. When, call, when God calls you to do something, you don't have to understand it completely to do it immediately. Verse 20. First Elijah puts a cloak around him, and then verse 20, Elisha then, what did he do? The Bible says he left his oxen, and then he did what? What does it say in verse 20? Ran after Elisha. He ran after Elijah, I mean. He ran after him. Left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Then he says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Notice he didn't say, well, well let, me, let me stop and pray about this, Elijah. Well, let me think about it. Well, let me get a few of my affairs in order. People will say they're not going to come to church until they get everything right in their life. Well, they'll never get everything right in their life. People say, I'm not going to come to the Lord until I get everything right in my life. You're never going to get it. You know, I'll be baptized when I get, when I get it all together. Oh, it's never going to be together. <laughs> I was talking to a person just the other day. They were had been involved in an accident, and uh, their comment was, boy, the, the, good, the good man upstairs was watching over me. And I commented to that person, hey, you know, you need to seal that commitment to the big man upstairs. We talked about baptizing you one day, and you haven't done that yet. How's that looking? I'm going to do that, was the answer I got. I said, well, I just want you to know the water's warm and we're waiting. Got back an okay. I didn't get it back uh, tough or whatever. So I'm hoping one day that that person walks up here and gets in that water and we seal the deal with them. Because that's what needs to happen. But God does watch over us. And God was watching over Elisha. 
And we, all can, we can always come up with reasons why we shouldn't follow God. When I was in college, and right out of college, I would go to these seminars, I'd talk to preachers, and they would talk all the time about, do you have a five-year plan? Do you have a five-year plan? You need to have a five-year plan. Financial people say, you need to have a five-year plan. Well, that all sounds well and good. I never could figure out what a five-year plan was. Man, I was just struggling from day to day. Any of you identify with that one? I would love to have the five-year plan. I just never could get it. And so when I came to this church, I thought, okay, we're going to develop a five-year plan. Because I was always told you've got to have a five-year plan. Well, just as sure as you set your five-year plan, what does God do? <laughs> he said, hey, you're going this way. Guess what? I want to take you over here. But God, that didn't fit in my five-year plan. I know preachers who would say, God, I'm not going to go your way because it doesn't fit into my five-year plan. So what God has taught me so wonderfully well, being a fabulous pastor that I am, (laughs) He's taught me to trust Him. Every day, say, God, what's, what's my marching orders today? Now, you've got to have some planning in your life. Don't get me wrong. But don't be so rigid in your planning that God can't alter that and deviate from it just a little. One of the toughest things that coaches have to deal with is undoing the thought processes in the minds of their young players because of coaches who didn't teach them properly. That's what happens. That's what happens. You'll have a woman going to have her baby for the first time. She'll mention it, say, at church. And she'll say, anybody that has any, you know, any help for me, please tell me. Well, here come the horror stories. I mean, I just, I just visited with a lady the other day. She labored her first child, just had her first child, 30 hours in labor. And then they decided to do a C-section. Then they decided... 30 hours. Is she nuts? Wow. But the horror stories, they're all there. You get a strong-willed kid. You get a kid that really doesn't cooperate all the time. Oh, all kinds of advice. All kinds of advice. See, we've got to undo bad training all the time. So you've got to be flexible. God needs to be able to move you immediately to an opportunity that He sees coming in your life. But God, it's not what I had planned. Then scrap your plans. See where God's going to take you. Because God will rarely, rarely give you full details. Have you noticed? God will very rarely give you full details. He's often strategically vague. Strategically. Let's look in the Old Testament. What did he tell Moses? Go. Go. Abraham, go to a place I'll show you. What did he say to Peter in the New Testament? Peter's seeing him walk on water, and he says, If it's you, Lord, tell me to come on. What's Jesus say to him? Come on. I mean, it wasn't wasn't this long, drawn-out, strategic plan. He said, come on. 
one word, one word Jesus says to us is come. Come. He may be, if you're having a rough marriage, he may be telling you to stay. Talking to a couple this week and the husband said, pray for me, pray for my family, I'm, I'm going to file for divorce next week. I thought, wow. I'm just going through a rough time in my life and I asked, I asked my wife to give me five positive things that, I, that, I, that she sees in my life. All she could come up with was three. Well, he's done. He's over with marriage. He's done. He's, over. he's done. She comes up with five. Just three. That's it. And my response to that was, really? You're going to throw away your family because somebody didn't give you two more positive words? Now, I agree. We all need encouragement. Amen? We all need to hear good positive words every day. Got it. But what I've put Cindy through for 40 years because she doesn't tell me how wonderfully marvelous I am every day, I'm going to walk away from that? (laughs) No. It's amazing, isn't it? So God may be telling you to, to just stay. Don't walk away. Maybe your health's not in too too good a shape. Hey, I'm living this one. That's why I put it in here. I don't like this. I I don't like having to get this out of the trunk of my car and put it back in the trunk of my car and sit in it and ride somewhere. I don't like it. I want to get up and go and walk and, hey, here we go. So God is telling me in one word, trust. Trust. Maybe you're sitting, you've been sitting, and you're not sure what you need to do, and you're not sure how, and you're, you're, you're thinking maybe God has a ministry for you. Well, you know what? Maybe the one word God wants you to hear is start. 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 But the one word I believe He needs all of us to hear is the word commit. Commitment is a foregone conclusion anymore. People don't want to commit to anything. Church, relationships, they don't want to commit to anything. It's amazing. I talk to young people, and they're, they're dating. They're in their dating uh, time of their life. And they are dating a punk, crude, rude, worthless person. You know it. I know it. God knows it. <laughs> but boy, they're not. And the parents know it. But that, that girl's not going to leave that boy for anything. And that boy's not going to change for anything. Because boy, he's got it all by, under control. he got it all by the tail. Here we go. Hmm. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Number two. Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Look at verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen. I mean, they were his livelihood. That's what he grew up with. That's the view he had every day. But the Bible says he did something. It says he slaughtered them and killed them. What do you do with the plows? Just leave them and say, I'll come back. No, he burned those too. Burn them all. 
use the plows to, to cook the meat. Then ask them, hey, what do you like? how do you like yours? Medium well, medium rare? <laughs> I like yours. That wasn't Elisha's plan A. He was ready to go to plan B. Or was it his plan A? And Is there a plan B? See, oftentimes God has a plan for you and for me, and we keep trying to deviate from the plan because we keep interjecting ourselves into the plan. What I see in Scripture oftentimes is when people are so moved by God, they will begin to do some ridiculous things for Him. They'll begin to tithe. Whoa. Yeah, I said it. It's that word, tithe. I got it. Okay, I got you. Tithing is the greatest release of your spiritual drive that you'll ever have when you learn to tithe. When you get hilarious about your tithing, you go from being a tither to being an extravagant giver. What's that mean? Well, we're going to teach you. We're going to teach you how to be a difference maker. Scripture says that we should burn the plows and kill the cows. The Bible says that disciples left everything. Everything. I remember when God called me. I was 16 years old. I wanted to go play professional football. I didn't care where I played college ball. That didn't matter to me because I was, I was eventually going to play for the Dallas Cowboys. Bob Lilly was my idol. 74 was the number I wore. I was going to have his number. Life was going to be good. Going to be a millionaire, professional football player. That was my plan. Wilson Wheatley, six foot six, three hundred and forty pounds, ran the forty and four seven. Now, for a high school kid, that's pretty fast, and for a man that big, that's pretty fast. And I began to contemplate the position I would play. And guess who I found out I'd have to block if I ever played Wilson Wheatley. Wilson Wheatley. At six foot six, three hundred and forty pounds, I was a whopping two hundred and ten pounds and stretched up to five ten and a half. It wasn't looking good for me. So I was grateful that God changed my plan. I was real glad he changed my plan. Wilson Wheatley went on to start as a freshman at the University of Houston and went on to play professionally with Cincinnati Bengals. I'm glad that God had a different plan for me. But so often, so often, we get in God's way and He can't get us where we need to go because we refuse to burn the plows and kill the cows. I ran across some interesting stories of people uh, as I prepared this week. One was a young man that his dad was very wealthy in the fast food business and he wanted to pass that on to his son his son would be wealthy and the, the, the only problem is the boy didn't want to be a fast food restaurant owner he didn't want to do it tried it said dad he went to him one day and said dad this is just not for me what I want to do is I want to teach junior high boys and coach basketball that's a far cry from a wealthy um, fast food restaurant owner 
the dad gave him a blessing and the boy went on to do that and became happier than he's ever been. I read, read about another family that had a lake uh, lake house. And during the wintertime, during the school time season, I mean, tell you, they were church. I opened and closed. They were church. They were involved. They were doing everything in church until summer. And when summer came, they disappeared for three months. And where would they be? At the lake. They'd be enjoying the lake house. They'd be enjoying the boats and all that stuff. Well, one of the one of the young daughters came to the dad and said, Dad, why is it that we're at church all the time except in the summer we're at the lake? And so the dad realized, kids, follow your example. So what did the dad do? He sold the lake house. Sold the boat. Because it was more important to have his children consistently see what's going on at church and in his life spiritually that he sold that stuff away. Now, you don't have to get rid of it. But if it becomes an obstacle, you need to get rid of it. Then the other story that I read was about a young man that had a pornography addiction. Computers were his worst enemy. And when he went to get help for that uh, the implications or the things that he learned was you need to get rid of those avenues that get you into porn well then he discovered that he could get a smartphone and all the smartphone is is a small computer in your hand so he continued to struggle with that addiction and struggle with that addiction and as he went and sought help again this time from a preacher the preacher suggested that he get rid of his phone as well. He said, well, I can't get rid of my phone. He says, he can't or won't. So that day, he smashed his iPhone and went the next day and bought a flip phone. <laughs> you know the old flip phones, the kind Don Baker still uses? Yeah. A flip phones? Yeah. Amen. No point on that because you can't get it on there. Precisely my point, amen. And precisely the point of the story is that he removed the uh, the ability to be tempted away from himself and went. Still got his phone calls, still got his things done, but he didn't need the other tool that led him astray. So see, that could be us. We could be whatever it is in our life. We could be holding on to it more important, importantly and more strongly and more strategically than it is to burn the plow and kill the cow. Never forget this. To step toward your destiny, you've got to step away from your security. Is that not a powerful statement? To step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. And that's so important. Pray with me, would you? Father, I pray that we become a church of ridiculous faith. That we become Christian people of ridiculous faith. That our commitments are ridiculous, our plans are ridiculous, our dreams and Hopes are ridiculous. They can never be accomplished except with you doing it. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us. 
and that He would begin with me. God, I pray that You would surround us with people who are world faith builders. That God, You would give us faith to obey when we don't truly understand. That we'll be willing to burn the plow and kill the cow just because we have sensed a prompting and call in our hearts from You. Perhaps, God, there's one today who would name You as their Savior. Perhaps there's one who would come forward and fall on their knees calling out to You today for help. Maybe there's one ready to step up and get out of their seat, quit looking at the same thing day in and day out, and step out and be ready to do something great and marvelous for you. God, if there's a decision to make to be made, would you help them to do it and give them courage to do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Great song, amazing grace. Let's stand and sing together. If God's calling you to respond, would you today? Uh-huh.